text messages that have come through. This one is in relationship to transgender operations for children. And Renee and I have just sort of been sitting here feeling very disturbed about this whole story this morning. It's just sad from every perspective. Mm. But... Um, Text message here wants to, uh, great points there. There have been cases where young children, four years old, have come forward as trans because of the behaviours forced upon them and the psychological positive reinforcement pushed by their parents. Mm. And this is the point that I made, you know, a few moments ago. Take a four-year-old child, ten minutes of conversation, you can convince them they're Batman. Yeah. Or anything you want to convince them they are. You're, mm-hmm. you're a dinosaur. You're not a kid anymore. You're a dinosaur. And they'll, they'll be acting like a dinosaur for the rest of the day. And it's like, well, what are you going to do? Have, uh, you know, try and have surgery to transform them into a dinosaur? Um, uh, pushed on them by their parents. As the child is treated positive for, say, cross-dressing in their mind, they're quite positivity to dressing up and this leads to much greater damage and confusion in life and there are so many tragic stories as senator rand paul was observing 95 percent of children who make the decision to transition regret doing so because it was just a childish fad you know we won't let children buy super glue but we let them make a decision about you know their gender for the rest of their life it's just beyond Bizarre. Mm. Okay, another text message coming through here, and this one was um, this one was kind of interesting. I'm going to have to do some research, some further research into this one. During the pharaonic era, the Egyptians believed in gods having bisexual features. Now that's very true. Uh, there were quite a number of gods who did have that. You had about three and a half thousand primary Egyptian gods. Um, so that is quite something to keep track of if you were an Egyptian. Um, but this was definitely a feature there. Um, he can, the text continues on. Elizabeth Boyle recounts that these features were believed to reflect upon the mortals with the woman's clitoris representing the masculine soul and the, and the men's prepuce, that of the feminine soul. Thus, circumcision was considered to be a marker of womanhood and a way to detach from her masculine soul. As it became a socio-cultural norm, FGC, uh, female genital uh, mutilation, or FGM, became the utmost criteria for women's marriage, inheritance, property, social acceptance in ancient Egypt. It seems everything goes back to false gods invented by Satan to cause as much pain to humanity as possible. Many of these leaders worship such gods. And really, you know, the whole plan of salvation is all about restoring the image of God in humanity. And it seems like humanity will do whatever they possibly can to mar the image of God and to destroy the image of God in humanity. And I think this is part of what we are seeing right here, which is just incredibly sad. So some great messages coming through. If you'd like to uh, share your thoughts on the subject or uh, if you would like to share your thoughts on the Bible study, um, save our text or phone numbers in your phone. We would love to hear from you. Our number, of course, 1-800-324-843. Text number 491 uh, And also a quick reminder, if you uh, was recently working on one of our transmitters, our Stanhope transmitter was having some issues and so we were up there until about 11 o'clock at night working on the thing. I've uh, got it back up and running. Um, still got some work to do out there, but you know what? 
If you're in an area and the transmitter dies, and you're listening to Faith FM on the app on your phone, you're not even going to notice it. <laughs> so grab the app. It's the best way to listen to Faith FM. Um, listen online and you'll be able to catch um, all of your favourite shows right there. Drive all over Australia and carry it with you. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So Isaiah chapter 52 is where we are heading and we're going to start reading in uh, verse 13. We've got a whole passage here to look at. Awesome. So verse 13 um, up to 15. Uh, yeah. How many verses are there in that chapter again? Uh, in chapter fifty-two. Uh, fifteen. It's fifteen. 15 oh, yeah, okay. So read those last two verses there. Okay. And then we will continue on with a couple more. But we'll we'll stop on those two and talk about those for, two for a minute. Okay. So verse thirteen. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. This is an amazing prophecy about Jesus Christ. And some of the things that really jump out to me when I read these passages here, well, let's kind of, uh, where are we starting there in uh, 52 verse 13? Um, let's just take this one verse at a time. Give us verse 13 again. Mm-hmm. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. And in my translation it says, and very high. Hmm. Exalted and very high. That's a fit description of Jesus Christ, and that would fit with what the Jews were expecting and what they were looking for in the coming of the Messiah. Keep reading. Next verse. But they were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. Okay, stop there for a moment. Mm. This is a reference to the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. This is the suffering servant king. This is a concept that the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, they really did not understand. They had no idea what this was all about. This was a foreign idea to them that his face would be disfigured. And this is what happened to Jesus when he was crucified. We were reading yesterday about how the Bible says that they would tear out his beard. Isaiah talks about how they would, and that's exactly what they did in the streets of Jerusalem while he was sort of being bounced backwards and forwards between Herod and Pilate. Horrific stuff. Okay, so keep going. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Okay, that's going a long way, isn't it? That's not very, like, very exaggerated, but it's true, right? Yeah. It is. It is. And it's- it, it sounds like it's like, I wouldn't believe that. Like, if I was reading it, I'd be like, oh, surely it's kind of like exaggerated. exaggerated. It's not true, but. The reality is it is not exaggerated. Mm. This is what Jesus did for us. This is the level of suffering that Jesus suffered for us. Keep going. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told, and they will understand what they had not heard. Okay, now let's stop there and let's, um, you know, you've got these kings who stand there startled and speechless. Mm. In his presence, because they're seeing something they did not expect to see. They are seeing something that they were not told. Mm. And when you come, I mean, this is an amazing prophecy. 
Because basically what Isaiah is prophesying is saying, look, when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be totally different to what you expect. Mm. It's going to be different to what everybody has been preaching. You're going to have a situation where everybody's preaching, you know, this king, this emperor who's going to come and conquer the Romans and to rule over the whole world and establish a Jewish empire. That's what you're going to expect. But you are going to to get something totally unexpected. Mm. You're going to see this person who you, you know, welcome into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, welcoming with hosannas and palm branches and laying blankets down before him and expecting him to become, you know, the ruler of the entire world. And a couple of days later you're going to see him beaten black and blue with his skin hanging off him in shreds, with his muscles torn off his back from being beaten, with his face literally ripped apart, Mm. where they've torn his beard out. So, you know, massive chunks of skin missing. You're going to see him then crucified and you're going to stand there speechless like, what is going on here? Because this is not what you were expecting. And it's kind of like Isaiah is thinking, okay, let's write this down and let's write it down. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of poetry. It's, it's, it's pretty horrific, but it's, it's, it's beautifully written. Isaiah is writing down this piece of poetry and he's like, okay, you guys need to understand what kind of a Messiah you're getting. Let me make this clear for you. This is what's going to happen to my Messiah because he's looking forward in prophetic vision and noting that in the time of the first coming of Jesus, they're not going to be looking for this kind of Messiah. But also, let's think about this now from the concept of the disciples. If you're one of the disciples and Jesus dies and then is resurrected again, let's say that you are Cleopas and his friend, right? They're walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died. They've seen him just destroyed, ripped apart torn to shreds, executed. They've seen all of this take place. And having seen all of that taken place, they're walking to Emmaus, they're trying to wrap their heads around it. Jesus turns up, they don't recognise him, and he starts to go through these prophecies. And let's say that Jesus comes to a prophecy like this, because the Bible says he began at Moses and then went through all the prophets, all the prophecies describing himself. So let's say he comes to this one. And he's like, well, here's a prophecy that says when the Messiah comes, he's going to be literally torn apart and people are going to be speechless and they're not going to understand what's going on. Now, you saw him torn apart. You were speechless. You couldn't understand what was going on. And Isaiah wrote about this. So this was all part of the plan. You know, if you're hearing that for the first time, how are you feeling when you're hearing that Bible study? Pretty shocked. I'm like, what? It really rearranges what you, you're like, okay, well, we got to go back to the basics because I've clearly misunderstood some things. If anything, it's unfair because the poem, be- it's, it feels unfair because the poem begins with, see, my servant will prosper and be highly exalted. Yes. And then we talk, and then this, this gruesome picture is, is painted and then you realize, what? What's happening here? Like, this is not highly exalted in my mind. This is not, this is, this isn't prospering. <laughs> this is loss. This is pain. This is suffering. Makes me, uh, rethink the whole thing. I'm confused now. <laughs> it would be kind of like if everything you had thought was true, 
was just completely ripped away from you in one moment. Everything you had believed was true is just gone. And, and, and place yourself in the shoes of the disciples. The triumphal entry, they're like, yes, this is going to happen. This is what we expect. Jesus is going to you know, take the throne. He's going to rule. This is going to be amazing. Then you've got the crucifixion and their minds are just like, you know, apart from the grief, they give up hope. And then you have this Bible study on the road to Emmaus and the Bible studies that come thereafter, but the road to Emmaus is where it starts. You have this Bible study on the road to Emmaus and suddenly it's like somebody sitting down with you and saying, okay, everything that you knew about the Bible, you missed. You thought the Bible was about X. It's actually about A, which is about as far away from X as what you can get. Mm. I mean, how life-changing is that going to be? Obviously, in this case, in a very positive way. Yeah. But that's going to be so dramatic. And I just can't even begin to wrap my head around the emotions that would be going through my head as I was having that kind of an experience. Mm. You know, it's... I'm trying to think of an of, a, of an equivalent to that, and I'm struggling. But you know, let's say that your your parents came to you one day and said, "Well, we're not actually your parents, and you weren't born in Australia, and you were born in China." Yeah, that would be pretty. You, you know, that would that would that would rip away everything that you thought you believed about who you are and where you fit into society, and yeah. Wouldn't it? Because things like that really touch, they go deep into your identity. And so yes. now you're like, well, who am I then? Your whole identity is gone overnight. Yeah, yeah. And I can see this with the disciples. Their identity for three and a half years has been in Jesus Christ. They are a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is their identity. But when Jesus Christ doesn't turn out to the, be the person that they expected, now they're, in, now they're questioning everything. And then Jesus gives them this Bible study and says, okay, everything you understood about your identity as a follower of me is the opposite. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We were talking about what the disciples were going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and imagine, you know, when Jesus comes and reads this prophecy and he's like, okay, this one's about the Messiah, this one's about me. Can I just say this? I think that's the process of growing up, right? You're a kid, you learn that the world is one way, and then you you realize, huh, it's not actually. It's something. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's when I grew up, I, I think I grew up when I realized um, my parents like weren't perfect people, but not in a way like, oh, I hate my parents, just in a way like, wow, like I understand their mistakes. I understand their like, and I really appreciate their strength and the, and the way they've pushed through life. Like I've just come to a new appreciation, like of them. And it, it was part of my growing up and it really reframed my identity. Am I really going to let myself because uh, let myself be affected by it. like my parents' mistakes or my parents, you know, their successes. Are we, am I going to let that identify me or am I going to become a new person and I let that like, you know, influence the way I am, but just grow into my own person. So I think part of growing up is realizing ah, it's going to sound bad, but realizing that you're wrong. Yes. I think because you can have a pride in like, I know the, I know reality when in truth, um, 
there's a saying to see your, to, to save yourself, you have to see yourself. And it's really hard for us to see ourselves. Um, and that's why we need, you know, we need God, God. And that's like the Bible talks about like a fool is like a person who looks in the mirror and then they go away because they completely forget what they look like. Um, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say like part of growing up is, is just rearranging and just finding your identity and like finding deeper meaning in, I guess, in Christ, but really understanding it. Um, I think the, the lesson goes through like not just believing in the milk of the word, but actually progressing further and growing. That's right. So not just believing in, you know, the Messiah that will come and be, you know, a nice person who does amazing things in the yes. world, but the Messiah will come and suffer and die. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a deeper level altogether again. And I, I like your analogy of growing up because, you know, your three stages of growing up is your parents know everything, stage yes. one. Your parents know nothing, stage two, teenage years. Uh, and then, and then you come to the third stage, which is where you're truly amazed at how much your parents know. Very much so. You know, yeah. like, and that's, that's when you know that you've grown up is once you reach that point, it was like, wow, I can't believe how much my parents actually know. Yeah. But, you know, you do go through those teenage years and part of the struggle is, within those teenage years is that you are finding your own identity. Mm. And we need to do that as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to find our own identity as a Christian. And for the disciples, their whole identity is being changed right here. And I guess the thing that's radical about this is it changes in three days. Oh, yeah. You know, in three days you go from crucifixion to resurrection. That's massive. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I've been uh, putting together a presentation. We're doing a series on the N.Digital for Easter. We're doing an Easter series. And so we're looking at the whole crucifixion weekend. And I'm talking about the resurrection. I'm so excited about it. Um, It's such an incredible subject to talk about and so central to our faith as Christians. And it had such an incredible impact on the disciples. Mm. You know, when you look at the at the rise and growth of Christianity. This is one of the things I'm going to actually be talking about on the N.Digital is you look at the rise and growth of Christianity. You've got a religion that started in three and a half years. You know, it's not like Buddhism, it's not like Islam, it's not like any of the other big religions that, you know, took a, a minimum of a lifetime and sometimes centuries to develop. Hmm. Christianity came on the scene in three and a half years. Then it took the world by storm with a religion that was the complete opposite of every culture and every other god that was out there. So the other gods, you know, very much made in the likeness of the people that served them. Mm. So in warrior cultures, you had warrior gods. And they would be very masculine and they would be very abusive and they would have affairs and they would, you know, rape and pillage and do all the kind of things that warriors did. And then you have Jesus Christ who comes along and he is the Prince of Peace and he turns about, he talks about turning the other cheek. And you think, how do these people relate to a God like that? You know, the God thought was very relatable to the Goths. Hmm. How does Jesus relate to that? He doesn't, but he takes the world by storm. And where you've got an effect, there is a cause. It's the laws of law of cause and effect. There has to be an event that is big enough, that is life-changing enough, that it will precipitate a movement like that. And the only thing that explains it is the resurrection, because resurrections, they're really rare. They happen very, very, very occasionally. Mm. Got text messages coming through here. Let me just uh, check and see what this one is. Oh, amazing. 
Love hearing from our listeners. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Here's the mind-blowing thing. The disciples were on the way to Emmaus when Jesus does the ultimate discipleship Bible study with them. Mm. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, uh, six days to us to take to talk, talk about these things when you walk. Oh, yeah, so, so Deuteronomy 6 tells us to talk about these things when you walk along the way. Yep. Spiritual identity is caught along the way, especially when it comes to passing on Jesus' identity to your children. Okay, there's a, 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 a free type of Deuteronomy 6. Day. Yeah, anyway, whatever. Um, so, yeah, but especially when it comes to passing a Jesus identity to our children. This is interesting. So, Deuteronomy 6, the Bible says, when you walk in the way, talk to your kids about Jesus. When Jesus wanted to disciple the disciples, he does it while they're walking. Mm. I don't know about you, but I find it super comfortable to talk to somebody when you're walking. Yeah. <laughs> I remember at college we had... Um, a place that was called, you know, the circuit or the walk. And whenever there was a deep subject that needed to, to, to be discussed, you know, we would walk around it. Oh. And you'd see a couple of people walking around the, the circuit and it's like, yep, there's a, there is a DNM happening right there, <laughs> a deep and meaningful discussion. It just became a part of the culture. Yeah. And I think it's something that we can take into ministry and also into parenthood, but into ministry because you're heading into ministry mm. and you can take this into ministry with you is that it's a great opportunity to talk to people. Just Let's go for a walk and let's talk about it. Mm. Just walk around the block and just chat. Mm. But even more importantly, with your children. So parents, think about this. What do you do when you are driving Ooh. in the way? Oh, wow. Are you talking about Jesus or are you putting Looney Tunes on in the screen on the back seat? Wow. You know, there is a great opportunity for discipleship there. There's a great opportunity for Bible games, so many things to pass the time while on a road trip. What a wonderful thought. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. And today's question comes from Christopher. He wants to know regarding Jonah, which was uh, what our quiz was yesterday. Do you think the book of Jonah finishes quite suddenly, as if there should be more? Yes. You, th- you reckon? It- yes. Huh, okay. Well, uh, I'll, re- I'll read it to you. There's the, there's the answer. <laughs> Let me read it to you. Okay, so this is the end of the book of Jonah. It's actually pretty good. Uh, the Bible says in verse eight, chapter 4, verse 8, you know, it came to pass when the sun rose that God prepared... An east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he fainted and wished he himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was quite the character. <laughs> um, and God said to Jonah, do you well to be angry for the gourd? This was the gourd that had grown up and given him uh, shade overnight and then a worm um, ate, it ate, off, it. ate it off at the stem the, that night and it died. And, uh, and Jonah said, I do well to be angry even unto death. <laughs> he was really losing it. Um, then said the Lord, um, you have pity on the gourd, which you have not laboured for, neither made to grow, neither which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 60,000 people that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? Hmm. And that's it. 
then done. Okay, so Renee, here's my question. Have you ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation on a particular subject and you start to wax eloquent on it, you know, maybe, but you, you start to have a, uh, a great conversation about something, you're kind of enthusiastic about it, and then suddenly you realise that there is a person in the conversation who has, like, a PhD in that subject? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll share my, my opinion and I'll have all my points and then I'm like, oh, that person is a professional. professional. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is kind of like what it is with Jonah. You know, Jonah's been having this discussion with God. In fact, he's been having a bit of a spat with God. Mm. Uh, Jonah has... He's throwing a bit of a tantrum. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so Jonah's throwing this bit of a tantrum. He's gone to the city of Nineveh. He's preached there under a lot of pressure. This is like the most brutal, bloodthirsty place on the planet where mm-hmm. you can lose your life in a second. Mm-hmm. And he's preached 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, just going to that city is dangerous. Uh, preaching in that city is even more dangerous. Preaching a foreign god in that city raises the danger level another level. You know, he's breaking all the rules of what we would call the rules of stupid right here. Yeah. He's, he's sending him to his yeah. death. Um, then he's preaching that his minor god from his minor country, um, from his micronation, is going to be involved in destroying that city. Mm. He's under a lot of pressure. His life is on the line. And then he turns out, well, he's actually the most successful evangelist in the Bible because 60,000 people give their lives to God and repent with fasting. Mm -hmm. And then he gets upset with God because, well, God doesn't destroy the city 40 days. He goes out to sit outside to see the fireworks 40 days later and nothing happens. And he feels like he looks like a goose. And so he gets super upset with God. He has this debate with God. He has this wrestle with God. And I like this because God says, come, let's reason together. And let's talk about this. And sometimes I think it's actually healthy to wrestle with God. Jacob wrestled with God. And I think that's not such a bad thing. And he is wrestling with God. He doesn't understand what's going on. And God gives him this object lesson. And God says, you know, you're worried about a gourd. You didn't even plant it. You didn't tend it. You didn't look after it. I created every single person in that city. Shouldn't I have mercy on them if I can? And Jonah just shuts up. He's got nothing more to say. Point taken. <laughs> yes, and I think that's the whole reason behind the end of Jonah. It's like there is nothing more to say. It's like when Job comes to God and Job's been saying all these things and his friends have been saying all these things and Job's like, and then God's like, okay, Job, what do you know about this and this and this and this and this and this? And Where were you? <laughs> and Job's like, i got nothing to say. Mm. And that's the whole point of the end of the book of Jonah. The discussion is over. It's done. Mm. God is the one who is in charge here. I think it's amazing. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.